Um, but when we last met, chapter 4 is simply an explanation to the Jewish Christians about Abraham. How Abraham's faith was what was counted by God for his righteousness. And so therefore, having been justified by faith. So, for by grace are you saved through faith. We are justified. The word justified again is our standing in Christ. God sees me just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. Now I still sin. But in the eyes of God, my sins are washed away. They're completely, as far as the east is from the west, God, Jesus, the Bible says, puts them behind his back. It's an incredible uh, uh theological truth that our sins in the eyes of God are gone um, that's the idea of being justified and how are you justified by faith for by grace he is saved through faith faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen so because we trust in the the scriptures trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ even though we've not seen God we've not seen heaven we know that he's real and we know that we're going there. So now we are justified by faith. Because of that, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that doesn't necessarily mean your life is completely a life of peace from now on. What it means is that you have made your peace with God. This chapter is all about reconciliation. Mankind walked with God in the garden Adam sinned, and sin came to all men, and we were now separated from God. The first thing Adam and Eve did when they ate the fruit is what? They hid themselves. And so we are separated by God by our sin. But once our sin is paid for, and we accept what Christ has done on the cross for us, we are now reconciled to Christ, 2 Corinthians 5 that we have been given the word and ministry of reconciliation. So we now have our peace with God. There's nothing, nothing that's going to separate me from God's love. No one's going to pluck me out of God's hand. When I die, I'm going to heaven. That is settled. Absolutely settled. And if you trust in Christ tonight, that is settled for you. You've made your peace. Um, my nephew said to me years ago, he's, he was really... Uh, becoming very hyper about the end times and he was collecting water putting it in his basement and he was just getting ready he was coming any time and the economy was going to collapse and the antichrist was coming and he was getting ready wasn't going to go to church or read his bible or anything but he was going to get ready and he just says he asked me he says are you you need to get ready uncle john you've got to get ready are you ready and i said yep i'm ready and he said so you've got water stored and everything and i said no I said, but I have Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, so I'm ready. I've made my peace with God. Verse 2 says, Through whom also we have access by faith into his grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So this chapter <clears throat> is a pretty amazing chapter because it starts with really good news and then it keeps getting better. And he keeps adding to the good news. And it's, it's, it's like salvation by grace 
through faith. That's enough, isn't it? What else do we really need to know that whatever happens in this world, when we die, we're absent from the body and present with the Lord, and nothing we do will ever separate us from the love of God. It's pretty amazing. And yet, we get so much more information in this chapter. It's pretty amazing. So look at verse 2. Let's meditate on it a little bit. Through whom we also have access by faith into his grace in which we stand. So let's talk about grace. What is grace? It's unmerited favor. We have grace and mercy. Grace is getting a gift that we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting a punishment we do deserve. It's by the mercy of God that we don't go to hell when we die. We deserve it. All sinners deserve it. The wages of sin is death. We're not going to have death. We're never going to die. That's mercy. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's grace. So we have access by faith into this grace it's incredible in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of god so when the bible talks about hope what is it talking about the bible says in first corinthians 13 13 there these three things abide faith hope and love the greatest of these is love and god so loved the world he gave his only begotten son and God has given us the gift of faith, Ephesians 2, 8. It's not of works as any man should boast. But what is the hope? Well, our hope is what? It's, what's, that, what's that? It's Jesus. It's, the Bible says in Titus 2, 11 through 14, that we look for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Thessalonians, when he's talking about meeting him in the air, he says we shouldn't live as those who have no hope. And what can man do to us except, you know, and, and Karen told the story of the Apostle Paul tonight, and part of that story is the martyrdom of Stephen. Stephen looked into the heavens and saw Jesus. He had no worry about being stoned. He had no worry about dying. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 2.19, what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? So Paul is talking to the church at Thessalonica. He's not going to be able to visit them, but he says they have great hope knowing that they're going to be in the presence of Jesus at his coming. And whether I'm alive when he comes back or whether I die before he returns, I will be absent from the body and present with the Lord. Now, the word hope in the Bible is a little bit different than the word hope in the English language. The word hope in the English language always comes with a question mark, doesn't it? Oh, I hope this happens. I hope I get this job. I hope we win this game. I hope I go to heaven. There's no question mark in the hope of the scriptures. The word hope is the exact opposite of the word hopeless. So what does the word hopeless mean? There's no way it's ever going to happen. If Brian and I went out and had a race, his chance of winning that race would be what? Hopeless. 
So if the op if if hopeless means it can never ever happen, then the word hope literally means it's absolutely going to happen. There's no question mark. So we have this blessed hope, this guarantee that God is returning or that you're going to go with him when you die. So then we get to verse 3. And I want you to look at the first few words of verse 3. What's it say? And not only that, well, wouldn't verse 1 and 2 be enough? We've made our peace with God. We have access to all of his grace and forgiveness. And we know that when we die, we're going to be with him. What else could there possibly be? And yet God follows up verse 1 and 2 with not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance character, character hope, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. One of the biggest struggles, we talked a little bit about this in, in Sunday school today, that not only do we have the guarantee of eternal life, we've made our peace with God, but we have the knowledge that all things are going to work together in God's the, the, the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. He's author and finisher of our faith. And even though we go through tribulations in life, we know that it is for our own good and for the glory of God. And we're willing to go through those for God because it's going to bring him glory. Not every person knows that. This is a particularly great group of people tonight. It's not a typical group. Uh, group of, of fellowship of believers. Um, your faith has been proven in the time that I've known you. And not many people, Sunday night church is not very, doesn't happen very often these days. Um, Sundays aren't like they used to be. Our, our Christian school had some football stuff going on today. It shouldn't be involved, never should, should do anything on a Sunday. But anyway, that's another story. The idea is this, that you know what we're talking about. So I'm going to ask you this question. How many times have you thought this to yourselves as you went through a trial? I don't know how people go through something like this without God. How many have ever said that? I, it's, it's so, I don't know how people get through life. I don't know how you get through a pandemic. I don't know how you get through... Uh, wars and, and rumors of wars and and all the kind of things that are in the world today without knowing that God has a reason, a purpose, and his will is being done. And he is the author and finisher. He's a sovereign God directing the universe. It's so comforting. It's so comforting. Um, and that's what we have. So not only do we have the promise of eternal life, but we also have the knowledge of God working through the trials and tribulations of your life today. It's a beautiful thing. And we know that God loves us and that nothing's ever going to separate from his love. That's verse 5. And because he loves us, he's not trying to hurt us. He's not trying to punish us. He's not trying to make our life miserable. He might, as he did with Job, 
I'll just ask a very simple question about Job. Was his life better at the end than it was at the beginning? Absolutely. So all that Job went through was because God loved him and wanted to bring his eyes to a whole new view of God that he never had before. What a God we have. It's all love. And if we focus on that, we are more likely to want to tell people about him. We're more likely to want to serve him. More likely to have a little better attitude every day about life because we feel loved, forgiven, hopeful. We'd be different. That's why God tells us as Christians to do not live as those who have no hope. I embarrassingly will admit there are some days where I carry myself as, as if I'm not loved, as if trials are overwhelming, and as if God isn't working. And I, my flesh comes out, and I look a lot like the world. We want to be careful of that. Verse 6. For when we were still without strength, in due time God died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man, verse 7, would one die. Perhaps even a good man, someone would even dare to die. Verse 8, what a verse. But God demonstrates his own love towards us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So do you want to know how much God loves you? He didn't die for you because you were a decent person. He didn't even die for you because you were an okay person. He died for you while you were still a sinner. How long has God known that we were his sheep? Before the foundations of the world. And we've shared a little bit of our testimony this morning. Those first 20 years of our my life in which I didn't really think about God or care about God, he was thinking about me while I was still a sinner. So sometimes, this, this is the, the part that, that is hard for me. I don't know if it's hard for you. But I'm, I would like to be a much better person. I've certainly made a lot of, of, of full pause along the way. Things I'd love to change. Um, but God loved me when I wasn't even thinking about him. How much more now that I'm trying really hard to hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And so sometimes, oh, I didn't pray enough. Oh, God's probably mad at me. I should have prayed more. I didn't pray about it. I'm sure he's disappointed. Well, if he died for me while I was a sinner, how much more does he love me now that the Holy Spirit dwells? It's, pretty, it's an amazing thing. God loves you. If you take this along with John 3 and John 15, if you put those three chapters together and read them and meditate on them, you should never doubt the love that God has for you and the joy that he wants. Well, what's the first two words of verse 9? Much more. How could it get better? Verse 1 and 2 were enough. We're going to heaven. We have justified through faith and Christ. Then we learn that, that even through tribulations, God is with us. And now we learn that God loves us so much he loved us even when we were just sinners and he died for us without us even asking him to. Oh man, that's that's got to be it. You're, that's, I can't, 
No, there's more. How could be much more? Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we will be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. I like that. Without trying, God died for us, reconciled us to him. Now having been reconciled, don't you think, if he didn't pour out his wrath when I was living the life of an of a ungodly, unrepentive sinner, he didn't pour his wrath on then, why would he do it now that I have the Holy Spirit? You know what? The Bible says that he that has the Son hath life. He that has not the Son has not life, but what? The wrath of God. I always think about the plagues of Egypt. And I don't have details on this, but you know, the very last plague was what? Death of the firstborn. And yet, those who had the blood of the lamb above their door, the death angel passed over. And the wrath of God is going to pass over you. I, I meet a lot of Christians, and I don't think anybody here is in this boat. They're really, revelation really scares them. There's nothing to be scared of. We are going to be spared from the wrath of God. Whether you're pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib, whatever. Even if I'm in the middle of the tribulation, the debt, I still have the blood of the Lamb above the door of my house. So I'm fine. I'm protected. I don't know in the plague of the frogs whether the Israelites' homes had no frogs in them. Or whether when they got water out of their wells, it was not blood. But I know God brought them through all the plagues. And I know that this verse tells us that there's wrath coming, but you are in the palm of God's hand. And Jesus says, no one will pluck you out of my hand. And we are covered. That's pretty amazing. I read something this week. I thought it was it encouraged me that the death of Christ showed that he was a man. And the resurrection of Christ showed that he was God. That he was God in the flesh that took on our sins, took on our pain, took on our suffering, took on the passion of the Christ. And yet the God part of him defeated death, defeated sin once and for all. And because of that, we will be spared from the wrath of God. Well, look at verse 11. And not only that, <laughs> when does it stop? Much more, not only that, and plus this. But we shall also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Have you ever... Well, this gets a little emotional for me. But have you ever asked forgiveness from someone you care about and they won't give it to you? It is heartbreaking. We're not perfect. There are people who, who are not happy with me, and they probably have reason not to be happy with me. But you know, forgiveness, the Bible says, be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. 
We are to forgive our brothers 70 times. And, and we, as Christians, and especially this group here, we understand forgiveness. And I know that you have really stepped on on faith to forgive some people that hurt you. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about those who you have hurt and they won't forgive you. It's really hard. Well, guess what? God forgives you. He has forgiven you. And he's reconciled. You know, there are, you know, um, Liz and I haven't seen our grandkids in a, few, in a couple of years. We really desperately want to be reconciled to Jonathan and Natalie. But it's just not possible yet. Not, it's not in God's timing, and, and they won't have it at this point. I'm glad, and, and as, as hurtful and heartbreaking as that can be, how much more heartbreaking would it be if God would not allow me to reconcile with him? And all the things I've done against God, all the things I've done that I'm deserving for God to say I'm done with you, he won't. He's reconciled me. This is what we have. This is what the gospel is. The world has fallen into sin. They're separate from God. And God wants to welcome them back if they simply accept his son. It's really a message of love and reconciliation. Therefore, verse 12, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all have sinned. So the first 11 verses of this chapter are all about the beautiful story of reconciliation. And that reconciliation comes simply by faith. In verses 12 through 19, it is a detailed explanation of how sin and reconciliation works. And it is told in the form of the first Adam and the second Adam. This is an essential understanding to every Christian. To really understand your salvation, um, these verses are essential. The first thing we learn, that because of one man's sin, death through sin was spread to all men. So when we say all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, it is because Adam's sin is passed on from generation to generation, human to human, and we are born dead in trespasses and sin. We are already born sinners. And if you know, you'll see a one-year-old and a or a two-year-old, and the sin is evident. We're Human beings tend to be a little selfish, tend to be a little immature. We tend to be a little angry at times. And, and that is our nature because it's been inherited. However, the second Adam was not born of human. He was born of God. Look at verse 13. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. So... Adam is the one who caused sin to, 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 to fall to every man. Even though the law didn't come till Moses, there was still sin in the world. 
We know that because of the flood. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. So Adam, the Bible tells us, is a type or a picture or a shadow of the second Adam. Who's the second Adam? It's Jesus. Verse 13, 15. The free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift of God by one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. So by one man came sin, by the other man came the gift of grace. By one man came the deservance of death, for the wages of sin is death. Anyone who eats this fruit will surely die. And because Adam ate that fruit, every single one connected to Adam is going to have that sin. And everybody connected to Christ is going to have that sin completely wiped away. Verse 16, the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in the condemnation. But the free gift that came from many offenses resulted in justification. The one eating of that fruit, that one offense, caused many offenses to come throughout the generations and generations. But that one act of dying on that cross, that act allowed people to be justified, to have their sins washed away. Verse 17, this is one that we are familiar with. If by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So as a human being, you are born having inherited Adam's sins. And when you die, you will either inherit Adam's punishment, and God told him, if you eat this fruit, what would happen? You will surely die. Satan came along and said the exact opposite. You won't surely die. By one man's act came death. By another man's death came life. It's incredible. Therefore, verse 18, one of my favorite verses, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even though through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men. For as by one man's disobedience, we were made sinners, by one man's obedience, many were made righteous. Beautiful. Disobedience brings death. Obedience brings life. And now Christ has given you the opportunity to be saved. But you have to obey the only way to heaven. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he's risen from the dead, you will be saved. Well, I don't think that's true. Well, then you're not saved. There's only one way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so that is not the best way. It's not a good way. It is the only way. The sin is already... Nothing you can do about it. 
All human beings are going to be born with it. To have it taken care of, you have to be obedient to the one that was obedient. Second Corinthians 5.18 says, All things are of God, as you are a new creature, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's the message. Mankind is separated by God from God because of the sin of one man, Adam. And that sin has been passed on to every human being. And you are separated by God because of sin. However, God has made a way to reconcile through the one that was obedient, Jesus Christ. That's the message of salvation. That's what our life is dedicated to sharing. It feels as if less and less people care. And less and less people respond but they're out there somewhere. There are people who are responding. And uh, we had Alexis Hickman, Eric's daughter, gave her life to Christ a couple weeks ago at, at school. So there are still people, and we just have to keep, keep playing silly games and singing silly songs and sharing the message of reconciliation every chance we get. You just never know. You never know. Moreover, verse 20, I, I, how could it keep getting better? The law entered that the offense might abound. So God gives us the law. The law is thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And all you have to do to go to heaven is keep every single law, every single second that you're alive. And if you break one of them, either in deed or thought, then you're doomed for eternity unless you turn your life over to Christ. So what was the purpose of the law? Well, the law shows us what God is trying to tell us. Do you know a lot of people don't think they sin? A lot of people think we're okay. I was watching an interview with a Christian talking to an atheist, and they were talking about the Christian was talking about how every human being is broken. And the atheist says, oh, I didn't know Christians looked at it that way. But the Christian wouldn't use the word sin. And the atheist says, well, I think the only difference between us is the things that you consider a sin, I don't consider a sin. And the Christian said, yeah, that's probably it. But they missed the, a, a point. What God says is sin is sin. Do you see? We don't get to decide either. If God says this is wrong, it's wrong. And once you line up all of the things that God says is wrong, then we come to the conclusion that it's impossible for us to get to heaven on our own merits, on our own works, which can't do it. So the Bible says the law becomes a school teacher, a tutor, the old King James says. And it teaches us a valuable lesson. What's the lesson we learn from the law? We need Jesus because <laughs> we are lost without him. 
Verse 21 says, So as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through the righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. His grace is sufficient. Where sin abounds, what does grace do? It abounds even more. Now next week, when we get to chapter 6, Paul answers the question he knows is coming, which is this. If we have all the grace to cover our sins, then why not just keep sinning? And that's Romans 6.1, which says, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And we'll talk next week about chapter 5 is all about your sins being forgiven nothing will separate you from the love of God and God gives you this and then much more this and then much more this and even greater than that this and even greater than that this and then you can't do anything to separate God's love from you and then a kid will ask me in class well so we can just do whatever we want and still go to heaven and the answer to that is yes if you're a Christian do anything you want you just won't want to do those things if you're truly a Christian things change and we'll see that next Sunday night Heavenly Father we thank you Lord we just leave this chapter with by itself it is self-sufficient it doesn't need any real commentary from anybody else it's so beautifully written and so encouraging that we learn in this chapter how it all worked Adam sinned death passed to every human being Jesus died and offered life to whoever calls upon his name Lord, that is the gospel. It is the word of reconciliation. Separated by sin, reconciled through the death of Christ. Lord, we thank you for that information that's come to us through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.